0: Thanks for joining us. Uh, Sorry, we have no video today, so it'll be an audio only. Um, Take some of the pressure off, I guess. But we are continuing through the third chapter of the first book of Timothy. The last couple days, we've looked at the qualifications that Paul has given Timothy in regard to bishops or overseers. Today, we follow up with the next class of church leader, that which is called deacon. The the word deacon means uh, like a table servant. The idea is that these are people who care for people in the congregation. They probably have a more functional role, um, maybe a little bit less leadership and a little bit more like pastoral ministry. Um, They probably have to do with kind of the caregiving stuff that happens in these church communities. But uh, Paul gives advice on the kind of qualities that Timothy should look for in the people Who are going to serve in that regard. And I think we'll get through this quicker, Michael, because in many ways, it's a restatement of some of what we've seen before. But let me read a couple verses here and we'll talk about it. Deacons, likewise, must be serious, not double-tongued, not indulging in much wine, not greedy for money. They must hold fast to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Let them be first tested. Then if they prove themselves blameless Let them serve as deacons. So we have some of the same things that are said about them. Um, The word double-tongued means double-speaking. In other words, they they shouldn't either say two different things to different people, or they shouldn't say one thing and do another thing. So they shouldn't be hypocrites. Uh, they, They shouldn't be greedy. You know, again, we talked a little bit over the last few days Money has gotten a lot of church leadership in trouble through the years. Access to money, the abuse of money, um, not using funds well, soliciting funds from people dishonestly. Um, there is a temptation that greed brings that is really incompatible with church leadership and has been the downfall of many a church leader. And so Paul speaks to that here. And then an interesting phrase, Michael, they must hold fast to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. In other words, they must not only believe, they must live in accordance with that belief. And and Paul has said things like this before. We've seen this before. The idea for Paul is that one's professed belief and one's lived beliefs really ought to be the same thing. There should not be significant differences between them.
1: I uh, also was uh, drawn to that. So, if you're studying with us, we're in 1 Timothy 3, uh, and we're looking here, verse um, 9. And uh, I find this idea, the mystery of the faith, particularly interesting. Uh, We're going to actually see that defined, Clint, in uh, verse 16 here. Uh, In probably a couple days, we'll get to this, where Paul actually gives the exact kind of definition of what he means by the mystery of the faith. But I just want to Take a moment to zoom out for a second and suggest that I think that there is great wisdom in the idea of uh, being uh, very focused on the mystery of the faith. The folks who look at the faith and see it as a uh, clear, defined and never complicated kind of reality are, I think in my estimation, those who are going to struggle in church leadership. Uh, And quite frankly, they're going to struggle with the faith in general, Uh, because the reality is the faith is always meeting humans in the midst of our point of greatest need. And, um, you know, we are uh, always living in some uh, very uh, interesting combination of both faith and unbelief. And so the idea of the mystery of the faith, I think, is a compelling one for me, the idea that we never get our mind around God. Uh, God is always revealing uh, God's self to us, and we're discovering that. Um, But if we don't have a little bit of mystery in our faith, then that's probably not a great sign uh, for our maturity of faith.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting phrase. And and for Paul, mystery is... Not quite synonymous with Jesus, but certainly anchored in Jesus. And so unlike the warnings we saw Paul give early in this book about those who chase after mysteries, this, that's not what he has in mind here. He has in mind our very specific faith in Jesus Christ. And the mystery, that there are some things that we can't solve. I think you, you bring up a great point, Michael, that the the faith is not a puzzle that can be understood, that can be solved. The, the faith is a living challenge for all of us, and on this side of the kingdom, we will not find ourselves with all the answers, nor, I think, should we trust those who say that they do. And so... Uh, uh, again, I, f- I find that a really interesting phrase, the mystery of our faith, and that we hold fast to it with a clear conscience. Because what is our conscience? Our conscience is whatever we do know about the faith, our life should match up with that. There should not be a gap between what we understand and the way that we live. So that's a great challenge for us. So um we've seen some of these words before, serious, not double speaking, not a drunk, not indulging in too much wine. And then we get to this next verse, verse 11. There's some translation stuff here. I'll I'll read a couple verses. Women likewise must be serious, not slanderers, but temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be married only once. Let them manage their children and their household well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and great boldness in the faith. That is in Christ Jesus. So there have been translations. There are really three things that you can do with this word women, and two of them probably are better than the other. Uh, Women is, I think, a solid translation. Remember, we said the other day, women can also be translated as wives. There are some who have argued that the word female here could be taken as deaconess, but given what Paul has said about women speaking in church and the male language of officers, we've had lots of that conversation. If you missed it, go back a couple of days. You'll, you'll come up to speed on that. I think it's very unlikely that Paul has in mind here the idea of a deaconess. Um, very much more likely that this is women or wives, but that the, the women connected to the deacons ought also to be uh, honorable um, temperate they they ought to not cause trouble they ought to if they have partners those partners ought to be a strength to them and not a source of controversy or conflict within the church we saw this with the elders married only once we talked about what that might mean manage their children well almost literal restatement of what we saw in the qualifications for bishops and then finally this common commendation at the end Uh, those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing and great boldness in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. You know, it's interesting, Michael, to kind of look at the meta meta of this, the idea of you have structural leadership and you have compassionate caregiving. And, And really, those two arms of the church, I think, have always been the foundation for congregations, for Christian community. There is a demand for leadership and wise judgment and making decisions, but then there is also this need for caring for one another, for reaching out and for treating one another with care, particularly those who are struggling or suffering.
1: Uh, I think verse 10 is a helpful sort of rubric that we can apply to Christian leadership, the idea of let them be first be tested, And, you know, the worst place for someone's faith and certainly someone's character to be tested is in the middle of an extreme situation in a congregation. If that's the moment, it's too late, um, and it's likely what you will find uh, will not be pleasant. Um, I think the idea that one should apply forethought to that selection uh, is, is deeply wise. And I think Uh, To some extent, um, maybe verse 11 here is less interesting than some of the words that have been spoken before, Um, if only for the fact that as Paul talks about women here, he's really not departing from any of the instruction that he's given previous. I mean, ultimately, he commanded this same thing for elders. So, you know, I think there's a kind of uh, equal sort of treatment maybe in that, uh, if not equal of, of like kind. Um, I will say, though, um, it's worth noting that uh, while it is unlikely in this letter, Paul means deaconess in verse 11, there are examples, say Romans chapter 16, verse 1, where Paul actually names a female deaconess. So another Pauline letter, but in that letter, he actually names a woman who serves as a deaconess in the congregation. It, it's worth noting that these letters are snapshots of a time in the congregation, and they are our scripture, so we sit under them, we seek to hear them humbly, but we're aware that there's more happening in all of the New Testament than what's happening right here. So just to, not to restate our conversation about what Paul had to say about women previous, but it is worth noting uh, that there's there's more complexity in the New Testament than what we just find right here, as it applies to women serving in the role of deacon, and uh, that's worth noting.
0: Right. I, I think the general caution we've always given is be very, very careful when you are taking one verse and trying to say that it is what the rest of the scripture says, because it it is rarely that simple, and so that, that's good. I want to point out just one other uh, word here. There's an interesting translation in verse 11. The word "slanderers" literally means um, it. It literally says "diabolus," which is one of the words for devil, and it's made into a form of speech. So it it probably could literally be translated something like "devilish." And what I think is interesting about that, Michael, is irrespective of the male-female stuff, I think that's a great challenge to those of us who are tempted to slander others, to speak ill of something. Paul literally envisions that when we participate in that, when we label others, when we call names, when we spread poor reports, when we insult others— we are being devilish. We are participating in the work of the devil. That's a very strong challenge. It's a very strong word. And and I think that's a very convicting reminder of the power of our speech that can be used for God's purpose or against God's purpose. And I I think that translation piece is interesting, certainly a, a challenge that I I hear loud and clear.
1: Don't. Make a mistake of misordering this text. This is not about uh, putting people down. It's not about a rubric for judging others. It is ultimately, verse 13 makes very clear, uh, deacons should gain a good standing for themselves and great boldness in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Good character, uh, Christian discipleship, that constant encounter with the risen Christ that demands uh, reawareness awareness of our salvation and a, a new kind of transformation into the image of Christ every day is for the purpose of more closely uh, resembling his image in the world. And deacons are called in their leadership to be fixated not on the standing for their own sake, not for their own kind of arrogance or prideful uh, pointing at self, but rather for the sake of true service to others, to to be upright, to be good people, to live uh, with a kind of stability and constancy, and that does not happen overnight. I think that goes back to that commendation we had previous, I believe it was yesterday, uh, that the elder shouldn't be a new believer. There's wisdom to allow a person to have time to grow in the faith and, and for that faith to take root. And I think these are beautiful words, a reminder for us that if, as our faith grows, so should our great boldness in the faith. And, and, namely, I want to be clear here not propositional faith, not just like your ability to talk someone into the faith, but rather boldness in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. It, it is beautiful when a Christian has come to the full awareness I can trust Jesus. I may not know all the theological words. I may not know exactly how I could, quote, unquote, evangelize another person, but I am willing to trust the one who has come and reveals God's will for the world. And if one can continue to grow in that confidence, then, friends, I, I think we're living into the very thing that Paul's calling the deacons to embody.
0: So in this last phrase here, the word in is doing a lot of heavy lifting. Great boldness in the faith that is in Christ Jesus, you know, we can read that word boldness and think that it's about us, think that it's about us being strong and standing up. But boldness in the faith looks like the courage to forgive, the courage to love, the courage to reach out to people who are different, the courage to embrace truth, the courage to take a stand against something that is harmful to people. And we do that in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So the idea that Paul gives us two circles to sort of locate our boldness within, I, I think is really helpful. Uh, because as in all things, Paul, this is never about us. This is about Jesus Christ. And and so um, he helps us get there, even with the way that he writes this final thought.
1: Well, friends, I think uh, we're glad that you would spend time with us today. Sorry for the technical difficulties we'll have that worked on over the course of today. But uh, we look forward to seeing you as we continue on this study. I I think some really interesting words to come, Clint, and I hope that those who join us will uh, be with us as we continue on.
0: Yeah. Thanks for your time today, and we hope to – well, we will be with you tomorrow. Hope to see you. Have you see us tomorrow. Something along those lines. Something along those lines. Have a good night.